you had them in the States. Now you can have them here. The famous design of Anderson Windows in Israel through El Haaretz Imports. Save on lighting and cooling bills. Preserve the environment. Beautify your home. Buy from the authorized importer at the best price. El Haaretz. American quality. American service. American prices. Visit www.elhaaretz.com. That's E-L-H-A-A-R-E-T-Z.com. Shalom and welcome to all of you lovers of Hashem, His Torah, Israel, and the nations. You're listening to the Noahide Nation Show right here on Israel National Radio. I'm your co-host, Ray Patterson, and my good friend and colleague, uh, Adam Penrod, is here with us, as usual. Adam, how you doing? Great, Ray. How are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. Anything uh, exciting going on in your life these days? Um... Nothing to talk about right now, but oh, okay. uh, I'm sure we'll be uh, talking about that sometime in the future. Adam's a man of deep, dark secrets. So. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I used to be an Egyptian spy. There was Well, not that I ever was an Egyptian spy. I was once accused of being an Egyptian spy, you know, so uh, I think what it was, what confused everybody, I was doing the Egyptian dance in the... You know, oh, yes, yes, yes. They do it at all the weddings. That's right. That's, uh, yeah. Uh, what is it, like an Egyptian? Yes. Yeah, well, I think you read too many comic books. So, <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, today, folks, we've got a really great show that we're very happy to be able to bring to you because it's a big question that comes up routinely and in particular, as uh, many of you are aware and probably participate in, on the uh, Israel National Radio's forum section. And I believe this comes out of the uh, Spirituality for the Nations. Correct, is, yes. Uh, okay. And it is on the plurality of God. And uh, Adam and I really wanted to do this because it, it is a, a big thought on people's minds. Right. It comes up actually pretty routinely. And it comes from... Christian participants, as well as uh, sometimes even from Jewish participants, the question is, is, is there God? Is, is there plurality in God? And, and there are reasons why people ask this question. It's not that they're asking this question, they don't have a reason for asking it. And hopefully today we can address those, you know, kind of take a look at that today. Yeah, and I have a feeling that this is not the kind of thing that we're ever going to be able to put to bed with uh, any degree of certainty. We could probably do show after show after show after show on this topic, and yet it would still have an inkling of question. And I think that's just how people are. I just think it's it's our nature. Well, it's uh, it, being a human being. It depends on the person. Uh, each individual person will will uh, take information and they'll they'll uh, 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 you know be able to, to 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 make it part of them easier than other people. And and you really have to put some thought into this. You really have to think about it a little bit. Um, and uh, you know, look, if you really want to know if God is one or not, I think you can answer that question. But you got to pay attention. You got to think about it. Right, and if you're not willing to pay attention, you're not willing to think about it. Then there are a lot of things in life that you'll never, you know, be able to figure out. Right, and I think for the individual, you just make the determination, make the decision that yes, that this is what it is based on the information that I have learned. Right, and that's the key ingredient here, my friends, is get the information, do the homework. And I think probably one of the greatest places to start is with the Jewish people themselves. Sure. And uh, certainly this uh, uh, goes for us Gentiles, too, because we always ask the question as well and always make the statement, God is one. 
And in the case of the Jewish people, every day as part of their prayers, they sing the Shema. And this is very important uh, to, to, to them as a people, to them as a nation. But the Shema is literally admitting that God is one. So when we talk about the Shema, and Adam, I'm going to let you run with it here. Yeah. What does this mean? I mean, the, the, the Shema, what does this statement mean? God is one. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, if you'd asked me this question maybe a month ago, I probably would have given you a much different answer than I'm going to give you today. Um, this is one of the great things about learning Torah is you're always deepening your understanding of things. Um, the Shema is the cornerstone of Jewish belief. It's, the, it's, it's like the statement. It's the Jewish motto. If you, could, if you could think of it like that, it's right. the motto of Judaism. Absolutely. That is, Hashem is one. Well, and I think it is, you know, we, we say it's a motto for, for the Jewish people, and it is because uh, they're basically commanded sure. uh, to, to have this understanding deeply embedded within them, whereas Gentiles really aren't. And yet we are from the sense that we're not supposed to commit idolatry. Right. But when we're talking about the plurality of God, this is where the generation between Adam and Noah got into trouble. Was they, they understood who God was, but part of the people worshipped Elohim. Yes. And the other part of the people worshipped Hashem. Right. Exclusively. Right. And in, in that very act, even though it is an, an essence of Hashem, part of Hashem, if you will, it is still idolatry right. so it's interesting that uh, uh we're having this discussion because boy we're gonna really get outside the box i think that's right here O israel the lord our god the lord is one you know here O israel you know our lord our god is one is basically what it's saying our elo our eloheinu our, our god is one so what is this really saying well you know um I was listening to a lecture by Rabbi Dr. Dovid Gottlieb on simpleremember.com on the Shema. And Rabbi Gottlieb makes a very interesting logical point. When you say, you know, Hashem is one, what are you saying? Rabbi Gottlieb says, nothing. You're not saying anything. Right? Right. Ray Pedersen is one. Zeus is one. Right. Right? Gee, thanks, Adam. The, the dolphin at the store is one, you know. Uh, so, you know, what are you saying? It, it doesn't have any inherent meaning to it. One what? Right. Right? So it's not, a mono, it's not in and of itself a monotheistic statement because you can say Zeus, for example, this is the example Rabbi Gottlieb gives. Zeus is one of the many gods. Right? I mean, that, that's sort of like completing the sentence. Zeus is one, one what? One of the many gods. So it's not as if... By just saying Hashem is one, you've actually become a a, a starline monotheist, right? Right. You, right, you right. haven't really accomplished anything. Right. And this is the importance in, in Judaism. You got to have some thought behind what you're saying. You got to think about what does this mean? This the statement uh, God Hashem is one. So one one of the things that uh, uh, Rabbi Gottlieb points out in this lecture is that you know sometimes when we use um, a, a name, right, a, a proper name. Then we're gonna. The sentence we're gonna talk about that person in some way, right? Mm-hmm, we're gonna mm-hmm. say something about that person. So, for example, you know, we'll say, you know, Zeus is one, one of the many gods, or, or Zeus is is, is uh, one very angry person, right? We're talking about the person called Zeus right now, right? Um, but sometimes, on the other hand, what we do is when we talk about, when we make these kinds of statements. We're not talking about the person. 
We're talking about qualities of that person, things that are sort of unique or identifiable to that person. Right, exactly. So we could say something even, another example Rabbi Gottlieb gives is, we could say something like Charles Dickens is one. If we were compared Charles Dickens to Mark Twain. We said, you know, who's better? We say, well, clearly Mark Twain is one. He's unique. There's something about his writing style that is just, Charles Dickens, Mark Twain, I'm sorry, they don't even compare. Mark Twain is, is the one. He's, there's something just you know very unique about his writing. And so when we say Mark Twain is one, we're not really saying that you know Mark Twain is one writer. We're not you know we're not making a vague statement. We're actually we're actually saying something with some content here. We're saying there's something unique about Mark Twain even. And we could say something similar to that when we're talking about God Himself. When we're talking about Hashem. When we say Hashem is one. There's actually some content to that word one that we need to discuss. Right. We're talking about his qualities. Well, I find it interesting, and I, th- I think the folks uh, uh, might as well, that the very, very famous Jewish philosopher Maimonides, uh, he, of course, uh, wrote the book uh, Guide of the Perplexed, in which Maimonides states that God is a perfect unity. Mm-hmm. The Rambam never does admit to any plurality in God. Let's face it, God has no part, either you know, literally or figuratively, no arms, no legs, no back, no front, no end, no beginning. In fact, another way to kind of look at this is the alternate name of God, which is Ein Sof, mm-hmm. without end, right. or infinite. And even from a human standard, when you put the word infinite to it, infinite becomes the box. So it's even beyond that, but Ein Sof is the best way without end that we can describe it so that a human being can digest well, it mentally. Because it literally means without end. Right. Right. Because, you're, cause, you know, it's interesting. If you read the God for the Perplex, the Rambam brings up this notion of negative attributes. Talking yes. Talking about God yes. with negative attributes. Right. And uh, the reason he says this is because when you start talking about God with positive attributes, like, for example, God is all-knowing. Right. Excuse me. Well, you have you have some, you have to start having some problems with that because now you you're starting to define God and you're saying all knowing like he knows he knows everything. It's becoming a, a, a positive statement which is defining God. And once you define God, you've kind of lost you know who God is. You've put God in a box. Exactly. Right. Even in say, making a positive statement like that, it's a hard concept to really get a hold of because it's very easy for us to say you know God is one or God is merciful. Right. Uh, and, and honestly believe it, but you're exactly right. And so was Maimonides, that that is not a description of God because you put him in the box, the box right. of being merciful. Right. And, you know, back with the, the whole concept of, of God's unity, one thing that when we talk about Hashem being one, what does that word Hashem even really, what is it, does it mean anything? Well, you know, on one hand we could say, there's a lot of debate. What does that word mean? Well, there, there are a lot of rabbis talking about what does that word mean. But one thing we can say is that the root of that word has the root of the form to be, the verb to be, of existence, of being, right? And it has the sense of he was, he is, and he will be. That God is never not existing. God is. He's like a, he's like a brute fact. You can't really work it out. There's no God didn't come into existence, and he'll never go out of existence. God has what's called real existence and for us he's got his 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 existence is necessary because if god were to cease to exist we would cease to exist if we cease to exist god wouldn't cease to exist right right so in essence our existence uh, exists within his existence 
Right, exactly. <laughs> and without him, you know, he, he wouldn't exist. And, and, and uh, you know, God's, God's existence is absolutely, uh, it has to be. It can't, it can't be another way, essentially. And this is something that's unique because there's no other being like that. There's nothing that exists that's, that can be, that claim to be made about it, that his existence is necessary. Right. So this makes God unique, right? Hashem, the always, the, the never ending one, is one, right? He is without limit. His existence is without limit, it's without beginning, and he is one. This is unique. God is unique. So it's almost like when you say Hashem Echad, you can almost say Hashem is unique. You can almost take one out and you can replace it with the word unique. Right. Well, and nothing, as you say, exists without him. In fact, we can even see that, you know, we envision the six days of creation with, you know, the seventh day uh, having ended creation. Each day was created by Hashem to support the creation of the following day. Sure. Which is clearly, in, in a structural form, clearly demonstrates that nothing exists without Hashem because it all started with Hashem. And even in creation, the first day supported the second day. The second right. day had to be created in order for the third day to be created. And each successive day had been uh, supported by the previous day's creation. Mm-hmm. So that day exists because of the previous day. And then the previous day existed because of the previous day. You get down to one. How did the, the, the first day exist? Hashem. Hashem, the right. creator, and that's how exactly. existence, our existence, exists in His existence. And you know, um, something you mentioned earlier that I think is very uh, key to, to this is the, the notion of uh, splitting God up, Elohim on one side and Hashem on the other side. And you you, you mentioned uh, what chapter four of Genesis, where we actually have this this, this story hinted at the idea that, that that God is both merciful and just. So Elohim represents God as just. Right. Hashem represents God as merciful. Right. And so what happens is, you know, some people said, you know what, we're just going to, you know, we just want God to be merciful. That's all we want. We just want mercy. And so they sort of sort of inclined their, their, themselves in that direction. And other people were like, you know, we're very just. We want to be absolutely just all the time. So they were inclined very much more in that direction. Right. And, uh, and what happened was they made a big mistake. They made a mistake to think that justice and mercy are somehow separated. They're not separated in God. And this is the reason why is because if you understand, the Ram call kind of lays out the way we should understand creation. God created the universe as an act of loving kindness. It's something he didn't have to do, but he did do, and he, and, he, and he did it to benefit us. So if the act of creation is itself loving kindness, and in God's uh, will for us to, to come into existence was to earn a relationship, was it for us to have a relationship with him, then mercy and justice, which are tools in bringing us close to God, then justice and mercy are also aspects of loving kindness. Right. So they're they're actually justice and mercy are actually the same thing. They're just sort of uh, you know different degrees or different types of loving kindness. But it's all loving kindness. So you know, using different terms, you really you're, you're, what you're doing you're, you're you're confusing yourself a little bit. But we have to confuse ourselves a little bit because we're human beings. <laughs> you know, we can't you know we can't talk about everything as one and inseparable. And these aren't things that we you know we can experience. These aren't things that we can comprehend. So we have to talk about things and sort of separate them out just so we can comprehend what we're talking about. But we should always recognize that even though justice and mercy, sometimes people think of them as being opposites, 
right? You can't have mercy where you have justice and justice where you have mercy. The truth is, is they're actually the same. They're two different expressions of the same thing. And that, and that thing is God's loving kindness. Well, and I think to some degree, and I'm not here at all to uh, e- even portray that I can think at the level that the Rambam did. Right. But uh, and once again, in his book, uh, uh, the, you know, The Guide for the Perplexed, and uh, I believe it's in Chapter 50, uh, he says that those who believe that God is one and that he has many attributes declare the unity with their lips and assume the plurality in their thoughts. In other words, by saying that God is, is merciful or God judges, we create a plurality from God's oneness. Right. And he, he goes on to say that all we, all we can understand is the fact that God exists, that God is being uh, to whom none of Adonai's creatures is similar, right. who has nothing in common with them who does not include plurality, who is never too feeble to produce other beings and whose relation to the universe is that of a steersman of a boat. And even this is not a real relation, but serves only to convey to us the idea that God rules the universe. That is God that gives it duration and preserves its necessary arrangement. So in in using the above example that, that I mentioned, God is merciful. The way the Rambam looks at it is you have to, and you even mentioned it earlier, you have to look at it as kind of a, of a negative. What God is not. Rather than saying that God is merciful, you would say something to the effect that God is not without mercy. By putting it that way, you've now actually increased the size of the box. Because you're not saying that he is, you are saying what he is not, which right. expands that box now and, and can be, you know, uh, from a human mental standpoint, you can draw many conclusions from that, but the only reason you can is because the box is now in well, large. And also because, you know, look, when we say things like God is merciful, that carries with it for us a certain number of, of things, a certain number of definitions of what mercy is. But when we start talking about God, who, inter- who, who, who whose knowledge encompasses all of time at the same moment, right? And who, who understands the, the, the deepest secrets in our hearts, and he understands all the actions and everything that needs to take place, and, 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 and what is just, and, and the notion of, of what we've done to, to, to deserve strict justice, what have we done to allow for mercy. God understanding all of these things, we can't even talk about mercy in, in relationship to God. We don't even understand what mercy, in a sense, is from God because it's so much more expansive. So what we have to do, instead of instead of narrowing down this definition of mercy, what we need to say is God is not unmerciful, like right, you're saying. Right. Because what that says then is that says that what God is doing is not does not lack mercy. Right. Right. And, and it's is, just not mercy. Right, it's not mercy because we have an idea of, you know, some of us have different ideas of what mercy means. You know, some of us, mercy means, you know, you stubbed your toe, I'm going to, you know, put a little, you know, band-aid on it. Where, where's my band-aid, God? You know, I mean, right. I, I'm sure this is, you know, some people have this kind of mentality. Other people have other ideas of what, you know, mercy is. And, and uh, all we can say is what, it, you know, what, what, what God is not. And by saying what God is not, then we can start, narrow, we can, in a sense, narrow down the idea of God without defining God. You know, it's a little bit like um, this idea of, of what are called essential attributes. This is, an essential attribute has to do with a, a definition. 
It's, it's, it's qualities that make one thing distinct from another thing. It makes it kind of uniquely what it is. So a human being, a, an essential attribute of a, of a human being might be, you know, intellect and speech. Those would be like essential attributes, I think you could say, mm-hmm. for, a, for a human being. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there's nothing else out there that we know of yet. You know, maybe Mr. Spock will introduce himself next week. I don't know. <laughs> but right now, there's nothing that we know of that, you know, has intellect and, and has the capacity for speech. And this is what sort of – this is one of the things that separates human beings from all other animals in the animal kingdom. Right. And that would be an essential attribute, something that makes it sort of uniquely defines something. And we don't have anything like that with God because God is so unique that we can't even come up with a definition that would describe that uniqueness. Right, not in human terms. Right. And that is part of the problem. Well, because that's all we have is human terms. Exactly, exactly. And I, I find it interesting. I remember when I first started hearing, you know, the word Kabbalah, and you know, started uh, you know doing a little reading in the Zohar and things like this, to, and, and come to find out that there is a a group of people with with just tremendous Torah knowledge, wisdom, have been taught for you know many many years. Their question is, what what was before the beginning? Right. And this is kind of where their discussion starts: is what was before in the beginning. Right, and these this is the kind of area, and, and sadly, most people don't give that that much thought. But you almost have to when you come to understand truly what the oneness of Hashem really is, the oneness of God. And yet, because of that, before in the beginning, we really have no historical reference, as it were, to determine what is the reality of what was before in the beginning, well, there's, there's, because nobody was there except. God. <laughs> well, and there's nothing that we could even really understand about that. It's a little bit like uh, about talking about God's oneness. What was before the beginning? Well, it's beyond our ability to understand. What was there before there there was a universe? Before there were rocks? Before there was an earth? Before there was water? Before there was people? Well, we don't know. We have no comprehension about something like that, an existence like that. Right. Well, um, and, I, and I think we're probably getting into, uh, and I love this discussion, by the way, right. but I think you know, for you and I, we can get a handle on this because we've had these kinds of discussions. Right, we've read right. enough material that we know where we're at, and, and I'm afraid that maybe we may have lost some of our listeners. <laughs> so I, I think uh, uh, we need to come back to just the basics, the nuts and bolts, and I think we'll do that uh, when we come back from the break because we are coming up to the break at this point. And uh, so let me just do a little quick housekeeping, and that is, my friends, we we love your emails. We hope you continue to send those into us and just continue to send them to the noahide at israelnationalradio.com and as we mentioned early on at the top of the hour this show evolved out of people participating on the forums with israel national radio and the spirituality for the nations we hope that you'll jump in uh, on that as well and, and participate in all the discussions that occur there. In the meantime, Adam and I are going to make a quick run for a break and I uh, hope you all stick around. We'll catch you on the flip side. See you soon. If you love Israel and you're coming to the Holy Land, you need Israel's best tour guide. See Israel like you've never seen it before. Mayor Eisenman will take you around the country for an educational and fun experience. Each tourist gets a personally designed tour. The land of the Bible, the land of the Tanakh, comes alive in the hands of an energetic, 
an experienced tour guide. Visit IsraelByMayor.com. That's IsraelByMayor, M-E-I-R, or email him directly at IsraelByMayor at gmail.com. For the past 40 years, Baruch Nachshon has been creating his colorful paintings. The world is very gray, and I have to bring some life and colors to the world. Now, the picture of your dreams can be in your living room. Click on NachshonArtStore.com, and Baruch's symbolic surrealist creations can be yours. Everything in the creation, it is Angel of Hashem, so I made all kinds of images. Baruch Nachshon, lithographs, posters, books, and more. NachshonArtStore.com Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the Noahide Nation Show here on Israel National Radio. I'm your co-host, Ray Patterson, along with my co-host, Adam Penrod. And we've been talking about the plurality of God. And I think I'd like to go ahead and start the second segment with a relatively recent, well, maybe not so recent, controversy, or shall I say a find by the Christian religion. As you all know, the very first verse in the Bible says, In the beginning, and in most Christian Bibles, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Well, for those of us who read the Hebrew Bible, and even the English translation of that, it says, In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and earth. Well, the word Elohim, which also answers the question of why was creation created, and by who and for what purpose, but that's for another day, it tells us who the creator was and The interesting thing about this is that Christianity, who touts its trinity, has now used this word, Elohim, as a means or tool by which to justify their trinity. So that's where I want to start to kind of get us back to the basics. And Adam, why don't you jump in here and, and tell us about this word, Elohim, that Christianity and presumably others use it as well, but it's just really come to the surface uh, with Christianity that Elohim proves the, the Trinity of God. Well, from a Christian perspective, there's a need to demonstrate the Trinity somewhere in the in the context of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures, the Tanakh. Um, that's because, of course, there's a very bold claim made by Christianity, and that is that God's nature is that of a triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, we never, God never talks about himself like that. So there's got to be some, you know, I mean, look, if you're a Christian and you want to say that God's a triune being, there's got to be at least a hint of that somewhere in the Hebrew scriptures. Otherwise, you toss this out the window. Right. Well, so what do you do? So, okay, well, maybe it's hinted at in the Hebrew because it doesn't say it in the English. You read it in the English just like you just pointed out. In the beginning, God created the heavens. It doesn't say in right. the beginning, God's created right. the heavens and the earth. It's right. God, right? So they go back to the um, Hebrew version of it. So why is Elohim plural? And how do we know it's plural? Well, the Yud and Mem ending of the word Elohim is a, a, a plural noun ending. Uh, it's a masculine. It's a, it's a, it's a male gender uh, ending. It, it means like two or more. And it's a very common thing that appears, Banim, children. Right. right? It appears throughout the, the, the Torah. So here it is. It's being, it's, put, it's being put on this word and so you have Elohim. Oh, Look at this, more than two. Right. Right? God right. is, this is, this is hinting at us that God is maybe more than two. 
So, you know, for the Christian, this is very profound evidence that the, that the Trinity is being hinted at. The first problem is, is that if you're going to say, if you're going to be correct, if you're going to say Elohim means more than one, then you've got to say that it doesn't say, you know, in the beginning, the Trinity created the heavens and the earth. You're really going to say, in the beginning, the gods created the heavens and earth. Right. Because it's plural. It's a plural noun. Right? You can't have, you know, whenever I say I have one chair, right, I'm not, that doesn't in any way imply that I've got a, a chair that is, you know, that I'm, not, I'm not saying I have a chair with, you know, four legs. It's just saying I have a chair because chair is, is, is one thing. Right. Right? So if you're going to say God, you know, Elo means God, then you're going to say, if you, if you plural that, then that's going to be God's, it's G-O-D-S, Right. right. Now, we know that, uh, first off, Elo basically means power, mm-hmm. right? And this is and the meaning behind it is, is, is powers, meaning that when God created, God is the author of all power in creation. God is the, the God of, who has ultimate authority, authority and power. And so it's a very appropriate term to apply to God. Now, we do see that the term Elohim is used in other places in Scripture, and it refers to like one, like an individual. For example, is Exodus 7.1 where Moses, where God says to Moses, you will be an Elohim to Pharaoh. Right. So you have to ask yourself a question. Does this mean that Moses, there was more than one Moses running around? There were multiple little Moseses running around because we're using this, this word to apply to him? No. As a name, Elohim is, 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 is taken to be singular. And how do we know this? How do we know this? We actually know it from the Hebrew text, which if you read it, it says, Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning... Bara, he created. It's a singular pronoun, he. Right. He created the heavens and the earth. Right. So we, we see right there in the language that the understanding of the author of the book of Genesis understands this word to be referring to one individual being. So this is really getting around that problem. It's it's not even really that big of a problem. It's just, it's just grasping at straws in some ways. But, you know, your average person doesn't realize that. It's almost like for your average person, this is a very persuasive argument because you've taught them a little bit of Hebrew, but you haven't taught them enough for them to really understand what's going on here. Right. So what we're doing for all of our Christian friends out there is we know you've learned this little bit of Hebrew here with the, 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 the plural ending. Now we've given you the other half of the lesson so that now you can understand that this, this in no way talks about a trinity. If you're going to talk about it it's saying anything, it's talking about more than one God. It's talking about God's. But you Christians reject that. Christians certainly don't believe that um, there are more. There's more than one God. So it doesn't work. It doesn't work no matter how you try to, to apply it. And Elohim uh, means judge. So when they were when God told Moses that he would be Elohim to Pharaoh, in essence, he was saying you would be a judge of Pharaoh. But it does seem, because of the eem on the end, it is plural, and it makes an excellent argument, which, of course, Christianity needs that argument in order to continue on with what they have already established uh, as as being truth, which is a trinity, which uh, even the word trinity is not mentioned in their Bible, the, the New Testament. No. The word trinity doesn't exist. You know, uh, you know honestly, Elohim actually works as a better argument for pagans. Like remember in the in the Tanakh, there were Jews who who both worshipped God and they worshipped Baal, right? Right. So actually, Elohim actually is a really good argument for them because they can say two or more. 
literally two or more gods right. is what we worship, right? right? Unfortunately, you have this other part of the sentence that totally discounts that. And I think for most people, uh, we need to realize and, and accept that uh, adding any additional qualities to Hashem, adding any uh, plurality, uh, adding anything at all, uh, provides plurality to the essence of God. We have to literally conceive of Him as as absolutely simple. Right. I've heard some rabbis and and even the sages say that when when asked, you know, what is the unity of God and what is this simple that you're talking about? They talk about a mustard seed. Right. It is like a mustard seed, a teeny tiny mustard seed. And, and all it really is, is is demonstrating the unity, not the plurality, that it is in its simplest form. And we as humans can't even begin to understand what that simplest form means because we can never understand the, the creator uh, in, in the truest sense. Right. I don't even know that when we're in the world to come that even then we're going to be able to comprehend at, at a level that's necessary to understand the true infinity of, of Hashem, if you will. Basically, our problem is if we, if we could understand God for who he is, Exactly, it would be God. That's well, what it would. That's what it would require for us to understand excellent God. Excellent point. Excellent. That's so I guess there's a lot of gods running around in Christianity. So, so <laughs> and forgive me, folks. I, I'm not here. We're not here bashing anybody. But it, it, it seems that the use of this term Elohim really, to a degree, seems like an act of desperation. Right. Uh, because their trinity is becoming challenged more and more and more, not by us, but by their own people. Well, the more, it, it's the beginning more, not to make sense. Uh, you know, it's the, not, the more you learn, the more questions that arise in, right. your, in your mind. And, and there are a lot of people out there. There are a lot of people out there who call themselves Christians who don't believe in the Trinity. Exactly. And you know that's a good. That's a very good thing. We, yeah. we, you know, we keep it up. You know, keep keep reading, keep studying. Right. Um, another example of this, this this problem we have of using uh, plural endings for nouns to imply some sort of um, plurality in God is is, the, is Joshua twenty four nineteen. And it says, God, he is holy. And here, the word holy is plural. So it reads, Elohim Kedoshim, who? God is holy. So, so they say, well, look at this. Okay, Elohim. Okay, maybe we'll take your, we'll take your argument about Elohim. Okay, maybe it's, it's, it's not a plural, but Kedoshim, holies. Doesn't this provide a context that tells us that God is, there's some sort of plurality to God? Well, guess what? There's a problem with this. And the problem is, is that word who? And who, in, in Hebrew, when you say who, you're not asking a question. You're not confused about who somebody is. It actually, it refers to he. It's another, it's another pronoun. And so what it's saying is, God, he is holy. And the he is singular, once again. So right here we have, again, this pronoun that kind of comes in and messes everything up, if we want to try to say that, that God is any plurality. Because here it very clearly says, we're talking about one God. He is holy. Right. So all this notion of, of the, the, the plurality of holiness has to do with the fact is, it's sort of um, intensifying the notion of holiness for God. Mm-hmm. And that's really all it, it's, it's trying to do. Another, another uh, actually, there's actually one in um, the Talmud. There's an example in the Talmud that, that talks about, oh, okay, uh, there's actually this, this very verse. Joshua 24, 19 is, is discussed. And uh, we actually have the rabbi who says basically what I said. He says, um, the minim, the heretics... Right, asked Re- uh, Rebbe Simlai how, in view of the pasuk or the the, the, the verse in Joshua twenty four nineteen, Ki Elohim Kedoshim Hu, 
which is written in the plural, it was possible to declare God as one. So there were actually these heretics, right, who came up and said, how can you claim God as one? Look at, in your own in your own Bible, look, it says God is more than one. And you know what, right, Christians are the only ones that like to claim this. The, 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 the atheistic scholars like to claim this as well. Right. Because they're always trying to, trick, to, to tie Judaism back to ancient pagan religions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for you know, Christians are actually, it's, it's, it's a sense of, there is a certain level of honesty in your, your, your average Christian who's trying to sincerely find evidence for something they believe. Right. You know, scholars are doing it really in, in some ways in a mocking way and in some ways just, you know, just, just their atheism being put on display. So here's the response of this rabbi. He just got to the, he's very blunt, gets to the point. You idiots, he replied. <laughs> had the Pasuk, had the verse written, Ki Elohim Kedoshim Haim, if it had been written with, instead of who, Haim, your question would have been laudable. You would have had some merit to your question. It would have been a good question. But now that it writes, not Haim, but who, he, not them, right? He, not them. What the verse means is that the one God is hallowed with all kinds of sanctity. He is holy and his speech is holy. His paths are holy. His ways are holy. His revealed arm is holy and his praise is holy. So in short, Hashem is one, but his, his sanctity is multifaceted. That's all that is being said there. That's all that's being, that, that the author of the book of Joshua is actually trying to communicate. So this is another one down for the count, for, for those who want, to, who want to claim that this is actually, uh, God has plurality to him. Um, and there are other ones, there, there, there are several others that we come across. One of the other most famous ones, of course, is when God says, let us make man in our image, right? Let, let us make man in our image. So, okay, here we go. Yeah. This, all right, Elohim, yes, that's I understand. That's almost better than Elohim. Oh, this is, this, is, this is like a home run, right? This is like a home run for Christians. Okay, okay, Elohim, okay, I understand your point, whatever. Right. Uh, who, Haim, okay, got you there. But here it says, let us. Who's the us? You know, who's the, there's only one person who creates. Right. Only God creates. God is the only creator. So God says, let us create man in our image. Well, he must be talking to himself. And God's not crazy. If God's talking to himself, it's because there's more than one personality to talk to. So this is a very clear point for the, the, the Trinity, right? Well, the, the first problem is, is that by no way could you read that and come, come away that God must be three. I mean, if you're going to take it in, 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 from the standpoint they want to say, God could be two. God could be three, God could be a thousand, God could be six million. You know, it doesn't really give us an idea of a number here, right? So you're still, you're still not, it's not, still not at quite the home run because it doesn't in any way identify a trinity here. But it still, it still looks like a good problem. It still looks like, well, it's a hint at least. Maybe it's a hint. Well, and in a simpler form, yeah. I talk to myself all the time. Yes. But I don't go see a psychiatrist for schizophrenia. Right. Because, you know, I'm, okay, I talk to myself and, you know, it's, uh, and everyone does it. I mean, right. we contemplate things. We, uh, sometimes it's easier to verbalize in our, our mind to, to come to a solution to a problem, whatever it might be. But uh, it, it's difficult to use that the way that they're attempting to use it. Well, because we just look at ourselves as the example we were created in the image of God. Well, okay. So you could even say that maybe he was talking to himself. And there's, and there's definitely that answer. Right? Yes. There's definitely yes, that answer. Yeah, in the simplest form, right. But, you know, there's also the idea, if I heard you say, let us go to the party, 
right? And I just over maybe I'm I'm, in, I'm around the corner, so I hear Ray go, "Let us go to the party, right?" The first thing that I'm going to pop to in my head is not Ray is talking to Bob, Ray's other personality, right? That's not <laughs> that's not going to be the first thing that pops in my head. <laughs> the first thing that's going to pop into my head is Ray's probably talking to someone else, right? So the question you right. have to ask yourself: Well, then who is he? Who's God talking to here? Right. Who is it that God's talking to? And is there any way that we can prove that maybe God's talking to him, talking to someone else, not necessarily to himself? Right. Well, it's very interesting because very quickly in the verse, right, verse 27, God created male and female, right? Right. Suddenly the us is gone. What happened to us? You know, do they have a, a fight? Do they get divorced? What? Where is the us at? The us isn't there anymore. Suddenly right. us has disappeared and God is doing the creating. Right. So, so who was? So who was the us? <laughs> right. Well, it's interesting because God says, in our image and in our likeness, we're going to create this person. So the Rombaum actually says, you know, in our image and in our likeness, this is, uh, you know, for God, this is sort of our intellectual capacity. You know, our, you know, our, abil- our, you know, our, our ability to, to reason and, and have free will and all that. But you know what? There's someone else that we're created in, in, in the image of. And it's not a someone else. It's a, it's a something else that we're created in the image of. What happens when we die? What does God say will happen to us when we die? Uh, what, you're what, asking me? Yeah, well, okay, what, you... what, what, what will happen to our bodies when <laughs> it, we die? Well, the physical, well, it's eaten by the worms and you know, we, we return to the dust. Turn to the we dust. we're created from, right. Which we're created from. Right. So automatically there we're told, you know, from dust you are and to dust you'll, you'll return. Right. So human beings actually have two aspects. We have a spiritual aspect and we have a physical aspect. Right. And in Torah, what is the other entities, if you will, that were created very similarly to Hashem? It'd right. be the angels. 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 Well, and we're similar to them in the fact that we have a divine right. soul and we have that, that level of spirituality. Right. But even more on just a simple level, I mean, Adam, the word Adam shares the same root as the word Adama, which means ground. Mm-hmm. Right? So we're, we're right there, it says right there very clearly in the text that the other thing that we're similar to is the physical world. We're, we're similar to, we have, we're made from the ground. Right. So the let us is, let us make man in our image, is talking to, from God is talking, and then he's also talking to the earth. Another example, another proof for this is the fact that in Genesis 1, you know, 26 to 27, God creates man. He creates both male and female at the same time. Right. But we get into Genesis 2, and he just creates one being called Adam. And what does he do? The first thing he does is he creates Adam from the dust, and then he blows the breath of life into into us. So so what's going on here? God creates in in chapter 2 our body, and then he blows into us the breath of life that he created in chapter 1. And then later on, he separates this physical being into two physical beings. Right. Now, doesn't he say... Uh, in that same verse, it says, let us create them in our male, image. Male and female. Right. Right. So he's, he's referring to them them as plural, and yet it's one entity that is created. Right. That called Adam. Right. Which is male and female. Right. So here we go again, where, where it seemingly it looks like plurality, when in reality it's, it's, it's one. clearly singular. It's right. clearly one, a unity, even at that level, existed in Adam. Right, and one being. Yeah, exactly. Now it gets split into two beings, right. because God had always intended that. He had created right. 
you know, the soul. But here, here's the important thing: God creates male and female souls at the same time because they're equal. Right. There is. I mean, you want to talk about ultimate feminism? This is about as you know, ultimately feministic as you can get. Man and woman are equal, and God created them in His image, but also in the image of, of the, the physical material Earth. Right. So all of this to say, and there are several other examples we can go through to, to cover this, but every time we come across an example of plurality in God, there's actually a very simple answer, usually right there, right next to the, the, problem, the thing is giving us a problem. And if we'll just look at it carefully enough, if we'll come to read the Torah for the sake of understanding the Torah, not for trying to prove some sort of theology. Right. And you don't have to go through the strenuous exercise sure. that, that many religions have to go through in order to justify what they're saying to match up with what they needed to say. Right. Torah is not like that. I'm reminded of the verse that uh, Hashem tells us the Torah is not in the heavens. Right. Uh, and the teaching on it is that it's not so far away that you can't understand it. It's right, right there with you. It is, it is with you. It is within us. It was written. It's easy to understand. Sure, so there's depth. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be like building a model. Yeah. You know, it's an instruction book on, on how to live life. And, and it's, it's a fabulous book for that. Absolutely. Without it, many of us, you wouldn't be able to survive. And all of us live it in one form or another. We just choose not to accept it. Uh, we choose not to see it. Uh, we choose to deny it. But once you grab a hold of the idea of the Torah as being one also as an instruction book uh, for mankind and how to exist in and within Hashem's creation. Just one piece of advice, but then we're running up to the end of the show. But one piece of advice to everybody before, if you ever come into a situation where you read something in the Torah, somebody tells you something that seems to imply plurality of God, what I want you to do is stop and say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Just remember that. If you remember that, then the solution, you can find the solution. Right. And who gave them the Shema? The Shema actually comes from uh, Jacob. Uh, uh, actually, the, the brother said it to Jacob. This is one of the traditions. Uh, it's in the Torah. The, the tradition was, was was Jacob, in the Midrash, Jacob was very worried about the brothers um, being in Egypt. They would be influenced by idolatry. Multiple gods. By, by multiple right. gods. And so to, to, to relieve him of his fear, the brothers all said with one voice, Hear, O Israel, Israel, our father Jacob, right. our, our God is Hashem and Hashem is one. Mm-hmm. And that teaching is in the Torah. Yeah. What, what does Hashem say when he talks about idolatry? I am your God. Right. I am one. I'm alone. There's nobody else. I'm it. Exactly. And sadly, we have bumped up against the end of the show, and it's uh, uh, this was a, a great discussion, Adam. Uh, I hope uh, our listeners got uh, a lot out of it because there was a lot of information here that uh, you can take to the bank, as they say. <laughs> So, folks, we hope you enjoyed this show, and uh, we appreciate you sticking around with us. We hope you'll jump on the uh, Spirituality for the Nation's Forum on Israel National Radio and share your thoughts and comments uh, about uh, uh, this subject. And uh, Adam is more than happy to respond to you on the uh, forum. Uh, So thanks for being with us. We appreciate you sticking around for the hour, and uh, we'll see you next week. And in the meantime, please, please, my friends, always remember to look to the heavens for your help with uh, from Hashem, because I assure you, He is always looking out for you. Shalom, everybody.
People are always asking what they can do to help Israel. But we've got a way to help Israelis while saving money for your business. Consider Chosen Staffing. Our team members are Anglos, trained by some of America's most successful corporations. All of this is done at a fraction of the cost you can hire someone for elsewhere. Your clients will never know that your virtual support team is here in the Holy Land. Please call us at 914-613-3436. Again, 914-613-3436. Chosen Staffing. There is a famous segula that a person who goes to the Western Wall for 40 consecutive days to pray for one request will have that request answered. There is also a long-standing tradition of giving charity to have a pious Jew pray in your place since not everyone is able to make such a journey. Western Wall Prayers, 40 Days of Prayer for You at the Kotel is a project of Kolel Tfilat Moshe. Visit westernwallprayers.org. That's westernwallprayers.org.